Hello fellow homebrewers, JP here, and I want to introduce to you the brand new Brewbuilt X1 Conical Series available at More Beer. More Beer sells the highest standard in homebrewing equipment, and the Brewbuilt Conicals are just that. They're made from mere polished 304 stainless steel, and they come with loads of features that you and I have been looking for. They have a full 2-inch bottom dump valve, which will eliminate your clogging issues, while the sturdy base includes four reinforced legs, just like those big pro tanks do. More Beer also carries the Brewbuilt line of options and add like casters, pressure kits, and even external glycol chillers. So you can find out more about the new Brewbuilt X1 Conical Uni Tanks by going over to morebeer.com for detailed videos on the entire line of Brewbuilt Conicals. You can trust Brewbuilt with your next fermentation, and you can trust More Beer to find the right conical for you. Brewbuilt at morebeer.com. everybody welcome to the session i'm your host justin crosley as always and exciting news co-hosting with me today for the first time in a long time mr nathan smith is hanging out what's up justin hi nate how you been i'm good i'm happy to have you haven't been back here since uh, january is the last time i was here we were talking all about pale ale that time oh that time I was here that was fun i bring you in for the specialty stuff yeah and this is awesome. This time, our guest even requested your presence, I think. So you're a hot commodity when it comes to the techie stuff. I can say by beyond honored to be back here anyway, but especially considering the guests who asked about that, that's incredible. There Thank we you. go. Vinny Chalurzo from Russian River Brewing Company is here with us today, along with Jessica Young, uh, a young uh, PhD student working with Vinny at Russian River. Welcome, you two. Hey, good to see you. It's great to be back. I'm s- that was a good pale ale episode, by the way. I, I listened to that one. Brad, thank you. That was uh, we got all into the weeds on all my yeah. various experiments, both yeah. good and bad. You got to bear your soul to the yeah. masses. That was like a pandemic thing, right? It was a I pandemic remember. project. Yeah. yeah, I brewed about every yeah. two weeks for a good nine, twelve months at least. Yeah. It was everything and, you need to do when you got extra time. Why not dig yeah. even further into brewing? Yeah. And Justin, just to prove that I listen, yeah. I'm not getting a freaking tattoo with you tonight. Come on! <laughs> Do you want to we see? know we can trust Vinny. Uh, now we know for sure. You don't want a wallet phone tattoo to you right there? I was curious to see what it looked like. It's terrible. It's awful. Oh, man. At least, um, at least the uh, Dave, who got a matching yeah. one, has a lot of other dumb tattoos yeah. to go with it. Mine's just random on an island over here. Well, you're going to need to get a bunch of other dumb tattoos exactly. to, to go on. It. Or cover it up. And go around it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. That was a that was Mitch has a cup of coffee like on his knuckle right. for some reason. Like yeah. you just get random tattoos like that. Why not? Just black and white monochrome. Right. Dave Just- had Dave had quite a story. Yes. That was like uh saga yes yeah. uh so. yeah, so Dave from uh, formerly the artist formerly known as Dave from Flattail. Uh, came and told the story of of Flattail's demise yeah. and his and his uh, partners, yeah. uh, his shady partners. But he's got a new life. He does. Yeah, and he's so. and he's working hard and making good beer and yeah, super fun and funny person and and then willing to do whatever because like I didn't prep that at all in the middle of the show. You know, I said, "Hey, Dave, 
I can get my <laughs> girlfriend here in like an hour and we can get tattoos on air. And he just, because he'll do any dumb thing I come up with, he's just like hung his head and was like, fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but a good show. Uh, and then speaking of pale ale, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm so like happy to be known as the pale ale guy because people like Vinny go, hey, I have a research and development pale ale that I think you need and brought that with you for us. I did. Drove too. it down. Thank you. Yeah, for that. absolutely. <laughs> awesome. So yeah. today uh, with Vinny and Jessica and Nate, uh, we are going to be talking about the ever present, uh, often elusive hop creep, the subject of hop creep. And it's been a show in the works for, for over a year now. Vinny yeah. and I have done smaller discussions on it. And then when you put together your um, CCBA, well, it was probably for other things too, but I saw your talk at the CCBA yeah. last week, the, the Crap Beer Summit uh, last year. Yeah. Um, and when you put that together, you uh, you said to me, hey, we, we could do a whole episode now yeah. and really get to the bottom of this. And so that's what we've been planning and yeah. what we have for you today. Yep. Yep. Uh, what was it? it? Was Tom Nielsen that you were with? Too, yeah, right? Tom yeah. from Sierra, and I'll reference him a couple times today. And then when we were talking about it, you know, we were thinking, well, you know, one other person, and I, Jessica was the first that came to mind. So maybe you should like tell everyone what you're doing at UC Davis. Yeah. What's your background, and how did you end up here with us? Okay. Um, yeah. So my undergrad is in cell and molecular biology, so really tiny stuff. Enzymes are my deepest love. Um, and then I kind of fell into brewing, so I brewed and cellared for seven or eight years. And then I worked at a primarily IPA brewery, and Hop Creek became my nemesis. Oh, yeah. And I got so fed up, I decided to go to grad school to figure it all out. Nice. And now my whole life is a hop creep. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's so funny uh, because when my staff here was asking about this show and they said, who's going to be here? And I said, Vinny and, and Jessica, uh, a student who's getting her, her PhD on hop creep, they immediately were like, uh, one of my uh, bartenders, like an aspiring scientist she, when she was in school, and she was like, I didn't know you could do that. <laughs> and I said, well, several years ago, you probably couldn't. But now you can get your dissertation in hop creep. Well, it sounds like a joke when I introduce myself because people are like, oh, what are you getting your PhD in? And I'm like, oh, I'm getting my PhD in, you know, malting and brewing. And they're like, what? And I'm like, I'm getting my PhD in beer. And then <laughs> yeah. it sounds like a joke, like it's totally. not real. <laughs> well, you know, Charlie Bamforth, the famous Charlie Bamforth, he always tells people, I have my I have my degree in bubbles. Yeah. Yes. He likes to say bubbles. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, but he's a biochemist as well. Okay, at heart, at like heart. Me. And we have a we have another friend, Patty Aaron, Doctor Patty Aaron. Mm -hmm. She's got her PhD in hops, and okay, she went yeah. to OSU to do it. Where Jessica's going to Davis. Okay, yeah. But um, yeah, Patty is one of the foremost hop experts in America. Amazing. And um, when I have super technical hop questions, I go right to Patty. It's really great. And uh, yeah. You know, so. we've been doing this for so long, Vinny, you and I on the show. And, you know, back when we started, um, we got a lot of information out there, right? But it was all from you all doing trial and error and answering questions here. It's so much less of a of in academia. And it wasn't that it didn't exist. There just was so much less of it, right? And now, you know, I can probably uh, throw out there, hey, this is the new topic, and find some uh, academia uh, expert to come help with almost yep. every topic we do here. On beer, that's probably true. Yeah, yeah. But this one's exciting, and I'm sure yeah. that brewers uh, far and wide are going to enjoy what research uh, the two of you have done, and uh, to to get to the bottom 
of hop creep. Yep. Um, all right. Before we move on, thanks to our sponsor, More Beer, who, of course, has been bringing you this show since day one, all the way back in 2005. I thank them for that. Go to morebeer.com. Their Black Friday deals are happening right now. So I've been eyeballing one of those all-in-one brew systems, you know, Vinny? They use the, the Brewzilla a lot. It's I like a one-pot cooker for it's beer. one-pot yeah. cooker. <laughs> and Chris Graham over there, more. it's like his favorite brew toy uh, now. 40% off over at the, uh, in their Black Friday deals. That's a, that's a good price. So go to morebeer.com, check it out. They got fermenters and accessories up to 40% off, up to 40% off on their different um, all-in-one brew kits, homebrew starter kits if you're new. Just go check them out at morebeer.com. Good people who, like I said, bring you this show every single time we do it, and, and thank you to them. And then I also, before I forget, and especially since we just mentioned the California Craft Beer Summit, uh, it's coming back, of course, and pre-sale tickets are on uh, right now. So join the craft beer community in Sacramento. It'll be March 12th through 14th, 2024 for the California Craft Beer Summit. You can bring your entire team from production to marketing to hospitality. There's something there for everyone, and the summit's a can't-miss event. I saw Vinny there last year doing a talk on Hop Creep, as a matter of fact. Uh, they've got two days of educational sessions, a huge interactive expo floor, beer and food tastings, and networking with industry industry leaders so uh, take advantage of the lotus price uh, to attend it's happening right now through december 22nd just go to cacraftbeersummit.com that's cacraftbeersummit.com get your tickets i'm sure you'll be there again Vinny. i won't you won't this year no you must have another event. yeah we're uh we're it's uh, we're going to new zealand oh nice yeah nice. so our first time to new zealand oh i better double check my dates i'm supposed go, to go to new zealand too yeah we're going a little bit early okay uh before like we're going at the very early part of hop harvest okay yeah because we need to be back for planning the younger release at the brewery that makes so sense. we do our distribution release to Places like Pop Grenade and the Bistro and yeah. Tornado, that sort of thing, early on yeah. in February. But the in-person release is end of March into early April, and we got to be back for that. Got and it, we got to be course. back in time to set it up. So, yeah, we're going to miss the CCBA this year. But okay. I think Garrison, our uh, head brewer, is doing something. Great. Um, I know Rob Todd just signed up to do some stuff, too. They always have great speakers. Yeah. There. So it was so fun last year. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. a really good event. Yeah. So go to uh, cacraftbeersummit.com uh, and check it out. Get your tickets early by December 22nd. You can you can save big. All right. So we have so much to get to that uh, we're just going to dive right into it. Um, so why don't we do, you know, briefly uh, just for those that don't know or even just to hear it from you to what is hop creep? Can we give a, a brief description of that. Sure. Okay. Um, the way that I define hop creep is an unintended secondary fermentation from hops that comes from adding them on the cold side. Uh, the current driving factor is dextrin-degrading enzymes called alpha and beta amylase, amyloglucosidase, and limit dextrinase. And those enzymes break down non-fermentable long-chain sugars into fermentable sugars that then yeast will ferment and create more CO2 and ethanol and other issues in the tank or in the package. And those those enzymes should sound familiar, right, Nate? Yes. My, I could see it in your eyes, Nate. My, my ears blew up. Lighting up, yeah. Alpha and beta, we think yes. of those, obviously, as the main ones you get from cereal grains yeah. used in brewing, but yeah. also in hops. That yeah. may surprise people. It surprised me. Yeah, I mean, you have to remember that even though they're used at different parts in the 
process, they're both still plants. Like, before they get to the brewery, they're plants. So they have jobs to do, right? And the job in the plant is to keep it alive and give it sugar or store sugar. And we just utilize it very specifically in the mash. And then they come back around in hops during fermentation. Okay. So these enzymes as well, much like enzymes in the other parts of the brewing process, as people typically approach them, you could denature them by doing certain things potentially. Yes. Activate or deactivate it, I guess. Yeah, but if you're doing that in the fermentation vessel, you're likely killing the yeast and denaturing their enzymes mm. and and causing other flavor issues and that so, stuff yes. we'll talk about <laughs> yeah. too right yeah, yeah. so so justin you mentioned the ccba summit earlier this year when i presented with tom nielsen from yeah. sierra nevada um and and tom is someone i've known for over a decade and we've done presentations before we're both in the hop quality group together it's actually how we met Jessica was through the Hop Quality Group. The brewery she was at before that she mentioned uh, was a member. And um, anyway, so when Tom and I did this presentation, we said, well, it would be cool to like plug it into an AI and see what chat GPT says hop creep is. Okay. So... Uh, this is this is what it gave. It's it's actually pretty good. So right. hop creep is a phenomenon that can occur in beer brewing where the enzymes naturally present in the hops uh, can reactivate during fermentation and continue to break down complex sugars into simple ones. This can cause an increase in the level of fermentable sugars in beer, leading to an increase in alcohol, uh, as well as a potential overcarbonation and changes in flavor. This can be particularly problematic for brewers who are using dry hopping techniques as the increased surface area of the hops can accelerate the enzymatic activity and lead to even more significant changes in the beer. To avoid hop creep, brewers may choose to use hops that have been treated to reduce the enzymatic activity or may adjust their brewing process to account for the potential increase in fermentable sugars. That's like ninety percent. What do you think? Like eighty? It's inter- It's funny that it says like reactivate. Like yeah. you somehow deact. They're not yeah. deactivated. No. <laughs> okay. Okay. And and, and the, the AI stuff is never like no perfect. Requires editing, but it might yeah. be a decent start. But right? it's yes when, it's like when but it's also 80%. sort of reflective of what misinformation is out on the internet or, though, too because it's really just pulling it from that. Isn't yeah, it? and also like what good is out there too. Like there's a lot of information because that's, really good, cause that's yeah. I would say it's probably. 70, 80% correct, but yeah, 80%. Yeah. It, so anyways, I, we just thought that was that was fun. Yeah. And uh, it, it's an interesting take on it. But um, yeah, in short, hop creep is a secondary fermentation mm-hmm. that's triggered by your dry hops. Sure. And and it's, you know, I, I, always, I sometimes forget that, you know, we live in this world of of professional brewing and it's what we do and we're so deep in this and we've done so much internal research and it's you know how we met jessica and you know we communicate pretty regularly Mm -hmm. um so you know i know what's going on in her world with you know from an academic standpoint yeah but and and i don't mean this is a negative knock but you know we see a lot of beer from other brewers and inevitably, at least 50% of the IPAs still have diacetyl, okay. which is something we'll talk about because that's a consequence of, of hop creep. Sure. And, um, and, and a lot of home brewers are still unfamiliar with it as well. I did a lot of um, like remote beer club 
events with homebrew clubs during the pandemic. Yeah. And and it was surprising, like, hey, how many people know what hop creep is? And more than 50% of most of them didn't know. And right. some of them are, like, really, really good homebrew clubs. So, yeah. and again, it's no knock, but there's still a lot of issues out there. Which is the sort of interesting and, and one of the difficult things about hop creep, right, is uh, some of these homebrewers and, and pro brewers, you know, sort of finally mastered their craft, right? But then with the changes in brewing, which we'll talk about yep. about more hop charges, um, well, now there's, I, I got so good at it, and now there's this new variable that I yep. didn't even know existed. Yeah. And yeah. now all of a sudden, I thought yeah. I figured yeah. out how to get rid of diacetyl. And the, and the crazy thing about hop creep is that it goes all the way back to the late 1800s. That is crazy to me. So I only know that from your notes. Yeah. And I was reading through, and I was like, wait a second. I thought this was a new phenomenon. 1893. Wow. These, these guys, uh, Horace Brown and G. Harris Morris, and they coined it the freshening power of hops. Okay. <laughs> and so I, I actually printed out that it's from the Brewer's Guardian in 1893. I, I printed it out. I, I figured uh, I could leave it with you or Nate or whatever. Yeah. But it's it's really cool. Like they did. I assume you've read this. Oh yeah, they, word for word. <laughs> they did like some. They had it's some, by my bedstand. Some some deep experiments, and they're talking about well, it could be wild yeast. It could be you know, we're like diastatic enzymes, uh, and and one other thing. But what I find most interesting is, and I'll talk about this later as something we tested. And uh, Oregon State has tested too. Is at the very end of their initial research, they mention like that the kilning temperature of hops is too low. Ah, so even back in 1893, they were already thinking about what right. what it could be. And then it, and then in the um, was in 1940, some other researchers kind of f- did some follow up work. I've actually not personally seen that the, those uh, that those articles or that work, but it basically just reconfirmed what the initial work in 1893 had was. And then it wasn't until 2016 that um, it popped up in modern craft beer okay. scene. And and oddly, that's just when Natalie and I were starting to think about building the Windsor facility. So we were in a lot of planning. And I remember Jason Perkins from Allagash uh, calling, saying, hey, have you ever seen a secondary fermentation from dry hop? I'm like, yeah, it happens sometimes, but we don't know what it is, and we just kind of live with it. Um, I would love to do some research, but I'm too busy going to yeah. build a you know dream brewery, and that was that. And then he went on to hit up Tom Shellhammer at OSU, and they did all the initial research that basically showed and that you know where hop creep, and that's when the, where the name came from. Okay, and and so that's really was 2016 was the more modern right. startup of it again. But you know, so originally they called it the freshening power of hops. <laughs> right. And does and, that also mean that they were dry hopping more than we thought they were back then? I think in the their notes they talk about like 3 quarter of a barrel a pound uh, to a pound per barrel. Okay. So at the time that's pretty significant, yeah. you know. But one one interesting thing is that this secondary fermentation in dry hops may be why they call it dry hopping yes because it dries the beer out oh right yeah i wouldn't have thought and uh john paul may from steiner hops talks about that i've heard him mention that a couple times from others also 
but it kind of makes sense that... I kind of feel like an idiot right now that I never questioned why dry hopping has the word fucking dry in it when you're putting hops into liquid. It was all those old homebrewing books just said, well, because it's... You're not boiling you, anymore. It's just the dry side, right? Every homebrew book. But what's exactly. the dry side? It's such a weird. I never and even questioned this, that. This term "freshening," I think, is a is a big hint into a couple of things they were thinking about. One of which was kind of that conventional. Well, you're adding something fresh, so you're going to get a, yeah. a fresh thing in, in return. You're also maybe restarting an active process, right? Yeah. And getting some freshening that way, right? Yeah. So I think. The variables were kind of understood in 1893, yeah. yeah. But they're they're becoming much more important now for all these other yeah. reasons that we're talking about. Yeah. So I th- I think Brown and Morris were just you know dries everything you said that dries it out. It makes it crisper, fresher. Yeah. You know, um, right. but pretty pretty potential cool side story to to all this. Absolutely. But amazing that this was recognized way back in the late 1800s. Oh, for sure. Yeah, that that really blew my mind, especially because of how much we talk about it as a new phenomenon now, mm-hmm. right? So yeah, um, okay. Well, let's do this. We're going to take a real quick break now that we have a grasp of of what it is and and how long it's been around. Uh, we're going to dive into uh, more of its causes and and what we can look out for in our brewing process. So hang in there. You're listening to the session, and we'll be right back. The leader in affordable, high-quality kegerators is here. Introducing Comos, the kegerator designed with serious beer drinkers in mind. It features an all-stainless steel draft tower, a major upgrade over traditional chrome-plated brass towers, and Comos keeps your new tower cold with their air-cooled tower fan, wrapping your beer lines in frigid coolness. Your beer is poured from innovative forward-sealing faucets that don't leak, so they stay cleaner for longer. Dual gas inlets on the rear of the fridge allow you to run both CO2 and nitrogen gas. Serve your beer with CO2, serve your kegged wine, or even cocktails with nitrogen. The digital temperature display has the largest range available, allowing you to use the Comos Kegerator for fermentation if you need to. And now Comos Kegerators ship with duo-tight draft fittings for that click-to-connect assembly we've all dreamed of. Buy direct from ComosDraft.com and receive free shipping on your order. That's K-O-M-O-S Draft.com. Welcome back to the session. Thanks for hanging out with us today. We are going to be discussing all facets, well, at least all facets that we know of hop creep on this show with Vinny Chalurzo uh, from Russian River and Jessica Young, also working with Russian River and a PhD student on hop creep. So we gave you kind of the outline of what it is. Why don't we um, get a little snapshot of, of what else it is and where it's coming from and how it's working from you too? Um, sure. So, as I mentioned, the dry hopping has those enzymes, the four I mentioned a few minutes ago, that are going to liberate the fermentable sugar by cleaving the bond and creating more sugars for the yeast. Um, also, hops contribute a small amount of free sugar. Um, my calculations are around 2 to 3% of the hop matter, um, not including the seeds, which... Vinny has done great work on, um, or starch-laden, or secret forms that we haven't thought about um, that could be there. Okay. It's, it's a free sugar, meaning simple sugar, like easily fermentable sugar by the yeast that are already in present. Yes. Yes. Uh, all plants use, like, sucrose as a form to, like, transport sugars across great lengths and spans. Um, so there is sucrose that's readily available. They store starch in order to do things. There's sh- sugars make up so much of cells in general that um, there's a lot of potential sugar 
that we don't know. Okay. <laughs> um, so that means that higher dry hops technically add more sugar, technically add more enzyme. Uh, longer dry hop contact time creates more hop creep. I actually think this is really cool that you picked up on this because um, it actually is enzyme kinetics and this really complex thing that like things flow downhill and they fat fly faster downhill and the same thing works when you think of enzyme kinetics you have substrate and enzyme up here and product down here and usually they stop when they hit an equilibrium but you have the yeast constantly taking away the product so it's constantly at this uphill hmm. able to flow down so if you magically find that equilibrium you're kind of like yeah but longer okay. contact time means that it keeps just, increasing that enzyme kinetic. Which, so it's important, and we'll talk about this later, is like get your dry hops out of the beer after 24 to 72 hours and keep dumping the cone. Okay. Yeah, which we'll talk a little bit more later. Got it. Okay. Um, dry hopping a beer with high residual extract uh, in time will produce more fermentable sugar. Again, that same uh, downhill example is like you have a high amount of substrate, which is that dextrin content. And if you have a big amount of that, it's going to flow super fast through okay. there. Um, enzymatic activity varies hop variety to variety. I literally just did 500 fermentations on this. <laughs> okay. And I'm not exaggerating <laughs> on that number. I wish I was. Wow. Um, and separated all them out. So there, there is uh, activity that varies uh, in variety to variety. Uh, farming practices will impact hop creep. Um, That's uh, something we'll talk about briefly, into, too, towards yeah. the end, because okay. there's, there's some really cool work done there that was just sort of uh, auxiliary to a study that Tom Shellhammer was a part of. And I think it's one of the most under-researched and talked about part of all this sure. that we can talk about later as well. Very cool. So, so with the different varieties, just curious then obviously you, you're sort of compiling a list and and documenting all this have you sort of found you know hop creep safe versus hop creep dangerous <laughs> varieties already i feel like it's so negative to say what per, we know cascade yeah. it was at the top um mm -hmm. so i have cascade and then i actually had multiple years of cascade both be at the most amount of creep okay which i thought was cool because we say there's so much year-to-year -year variation yeah but nonetheless cascade of multiple years and centennial of multiple years and mosaic of multiple locations ended up in the same circles <laughs> the realms of the way you do statistics sure. um yeah. so cascade was at the far end okay. and then most hops gave a medium amount of creep okay so if you think of a bell curve most things lie right in the middle yeah okay which i think is like kind of nice right <laughs> We, I mean, it we, would be nice if there was also <laughs> 10 varieties that you could just use and not worry about it. But yeah, all, exist. Hops, okay, yeah. We, all we, hops have hop cream. We removed all Cascade from dry hopped a couple of few years ago oh, no after kidding. figuring this out ourselves. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Fascinating. Uh, yeah. So, to have different, uh, to test different lots like you did with uh, Mosaic yeah. is interesting too. That's going to be an important factor in trying to correlate the data at risk of taking too many samples and at least you have some confidence that it, you have you're doing something variety specific yeah so, i will yeah. say there were varieties that had a lot of consistency too like mosaic t90 gave me the exact same number every time and i was like whoa okay <laughs> like this is brilliant yeah Trust so that, yeah. although they're all hops have hop creep there can be consistency found okay right 
that's what I think the big takeaway from 500 fermentations is. Yeah, so. it makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> makes sense to me. Um, okay. And then you don't want to talk about farming practices now? You oh, wanna... let, let's wait yeah. towards the end. Yeah. Okay. We'll just in case see how timing's going. But um, okay. yeah, they're just, it's some interesting stuff, but it's not something a home brewer or a professional brewer can deal with. Yeah. So we'll chat with it later. But there, you know, I think the, the one thing that is problematic is all the legal of course stuff and yeah we briefly touched on this you don't want to slander some farmers well like, no i meant like legal as in like we're going over like a beer that gets too high in alcohol ah, or okay. yeah. that sort of thing like what's where's the the problems lie is that you know you have like jessica said all hops are going to cause some sort of creep if you dry hop with it and dry hop enough in the right combination okay but like you know, if you if you have a beer that you package, can, bottle, or keg, and you end up packaging it too soon, the hop creep doesn't finish. Uh-huh. Um, as a professional brewer, we only have 0.3% alcohol above or below okay. whatever it is on the label. So like Pliny, for example, is, or for your customer out there, Pliny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, 8%. So... Pliny could technically be 7.7 to 8.3. Okay. But if you have a, a beer that, you know, is, ferments like half a degree Play-Doh in the bottle because of hop creep, um, that would put us out of spec. So we'd be now in trouble with the TTB if they happen to grab a sample and sure. test it. Yeah. But that, that half a degree um, Play-Doh also would equal about two and a half volumes of CO2. And we we see about half a degree Play-Doh move in hop creep in our beers. But there was a time when we didn't have our, a handle on hop creep. Mm. And we were seeing almost a degree Play-Doh, complete degree Play-Doh, wow. fermentation secondary. And, and we'll talk about some of the things we've done, but that's a huge amount. And if yeah. you miss any of that... You're you're potentially creating more CO two, and and then just like your spec is out of whack too for what you know Pliny or whatever the beer is supposed to be. Sure, um, there's off flavors. Diacetyl is the big one. You can also get some acetaldehyde, um, and then just like there's a loss of efficiency as a professional brewer. Maybe as a home brewer like Nate, you're like ah, oh, you know, it's an extra week. Ah, whatever. It is what it is. But on a professional side, yeah, you know, you lose a week for every batch of Pliny, there was a time when it was like a 28-day beer. Mm. It was almost a month to make a tank because hop creep was so bad. And we finally wrapped our arms around it and figured most of it out to the point where we still have hop creep, but it's not near as bad. Um, But, you know, the difference between it being a a 19-day or 20-day beer and a 28-day beer, eight days extra is is a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. So. So, Well, and then just uh, just to maybe put a fine point of some of the advice you've already given do you never dry hop a beer longer than 72 hours anymore didn't you say like 48 to 72 is kind of the sweet spot yeah we start dumping the cone uh typically at 48 hours now and and then and that that opens up a whole nother conversation about pellet density okay um because the pellets sometimes aren't going to just float uh, uh, sink down excuse me immediately and some are going to float more um uh you know there's a practice out there um Evan Price at Greenchik uh, talked about it uh, on another podcast that I did um with him and uh 
Kelsey from North Park about mm-hmm. where he puts top pressure on the tank um, for a certain amount of time, and that helps like kind of push the CO2 into solution, which helps push the hops through the beer. So home brewer. Okay. Can't, can't really do that. It's tougher to not, do, but not impossible, depending on the, the depending on the equipment. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. But so trying to get your hops through the beer now, and a lot of that was originated from Oregon State University uh, with some work they did over a decade ago okay. um, with with one of the grad students at the time, and and they basically were like you're getting everything out of the hops in 24 to 72 hours. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. And does so, that limit some of the enzyme kinetics that we were talking about earlier? Is that or a different you, different set of? No, it does because yeah. the, if you can get them out quicker. Yeah. Just like Jessica was saying, the amount of time um, is is important. So you want to try to get them out as quick as possible. And so you know that's where being smaller, you sometimes have an advantage because you can dump the cone more easily, more readily Mm. um, compared to a big brewery that maybe is, you just can't dump the hose of yeast down the drain because it's going to hit your wastewater plant and it's problematic and whatnot. So there still Uh, will be enzymes in solution though, to be clear, but you're getting out the majority out the bottom that would be still, maybe they haven't dissolved out yet of the actual pellets, but yeah. Yes. Okay. The top pressure thing is pretty cool. People have talked about rousing from the other direction quite a bit, but the top pressure side of it probably gets less discussion. Yeah. That was really interesting. Yeah. Rousing to me isn't necessary Mm -hmm. um, from that standpoint. I mean, we do have a way to mix our tanks, but we only do it it early on just to get them all mixed in and the tank homogenized. Once we hit that point, to me, top pressure is more important, and then you get the travel time Hmm. with the hops through the beer. Okay. So. Very cool. Okay, so the main problems where we, we've already mentioned there's a there's a legal concern if you're if you're off uh, too far on that. Um, there's a, a safety concern, right, of that that yep. increased CO two, right? You don't want bottle bombs, things like that happening. Yep. As a home brewer, I've had those. Uh, as a bad home brewer, <laughs> I've had those. Is what I should say. Um, and then uh, off flavors, right? Yep. Diacetyl, Diacetyl is yep. the main one. Okay. Um, and then uh, something you haven't really mentioned yet, but uh, efficiency, right? Like yeah. a loss of, of efficiency yeah. in the brew house, yeah. which at your scale, yeah. for example. Yeah. In the cellar, fermentation cellar, because it's taken a longer time to sit in the tank. Instead of 20-day, it's 30-day maybe. Right. And, and that's just to clean up that diacetyl, basically, yeah. that happened? Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, okay. So now we kind of have an idea of the problem. Um we can just fix it now, right? Yeah. Do you want to? <laughs> what's the What's the big reveal, oh, Jessica? Sadly, there is no solution. Uh. Um, there's no big solution. Um, there are many moving parts. As you know, as you brew beer, you fix one thing or move one thing. You've set something else out of whack. Mm. And so, um, yeah, it's kind of hard. There's a lot of mitigation measures. Obviously, you've mentioned like getting yourself to a point where you can work with Pliny not being a 28-day beer anymore. And so I think brewers have to find consistency where they can and, like, understand their process well enough and their dry hopping procedure well enough to – and understand their fermentation and fermentation curves well enough that they can start to make mitigation measures that work for them, Hmm. but understanding that it's still a problem that they're not going to fix. And when they throw something like mash temperatures up or something or lower, then they're going to be throwing something else out of whack. And they need to be prepared for that as they're trying to fine-tune that process. Okay, that makes sense. Because you're going to obviously give us some things that we can work on and tweak 
but just remain aware that every action sort of has a reaction. Yes, of course. Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, well, should we dive into uh, uh, some of that? Yeah, maybe we'll start with just like talking through a fermentation curve. Yeah. Okay. So let's just get throughout some theoretical numbers. You got a beer that starts at seventeen Plato, you know, or sixteen Plato, somewhere in there. It's going to be a double IPA. Okay. And uh, and then it's going to ferment down. And let's say you uh, aren't going to dry hop this beer. Not going to be an IPA, but you know we're just sure theoretical, hypothetically, hypothetically. Yeah. and it stops fermenting at three and a half Plato. Let's just say so. You start at sixteen, seventeen Plato. It ferments down. It hits three and a half Plato, and then at some point, it clears the normal diacetyl from fermentation, and this that three and a half Plato just sticks. And then at some point, you're like, okay, I'm going to drop the temperature on the tank. That's that. You take that same beer and start at the same original gravity, ferments down to that same three and a half Play-Doh, but this mm-hmm. time you're going to dry hop it. Yeah. So now you're introducing the hops. They're going to start, those enzymes that we talked about earlier mm-hmm. are going to start working on the unfermentable sugars yeah. that's within that three and a half Play-Doh uh, remaining uh, extract. And suddenly those long chain sugars are turned into short chain sugars and the yeast that's still hanging out in the beer, even though you've dumped the cone, we all know there's still a bunch of yeast in the yeah. you know, in the, the vessel, they're gonna start fermenting. And what's interesting here is was a couple of interesting things. Nate, you mentioned you were asking earlier about the sugar. Yes. Well, if you graph your fermentation, I assume Jessica saw this on five hundred of her ferments. <laughs> um <laughs> There's a little bump up in the sugar in the extract. Okay. It, you know, it comes down to that three and a half Play-Doh, and then it'll bump up to three point six or whatever it is. Yeah, and you can see it in a fermentation curve, and then the next day it drops again every time. Wow! Without from the introduction of that dry hop. Yeah, and that's, from the very small amount. Yeah, fractions of a percent, perhaps yeah. in terms of total weight. Uh huh. Of the very simple sugars you might be getting from the hops. Yeah. Themselves. Every yeah. every time we've looked at it, it's there. And then and then you know that three and a half Play-Doh now maybe ferments down to three or even two and a half Play-Doh if it's really bad. Whether maybe you already put a bunch of dextrin in, mm. uh, or it's just the enzymes just going to work because it happens to be in a great environment. The inter- the other interesting thing when you look at this fermentation curve is if you then lay over the diacetyl curve. The diacetyl curve obviously goes up spikes spikes early, Mm -hmm. just like any fermentation, and it drops. But then once you introduce the dry hops 24, 48 hours in, that starts going up again. Mm. So you've got the sugar, you know, has this little bump up and then starts dropping again. But the diacetyl is going up. The VDK is going up. And it takes time for it to come back down. Okay. And so there's all kinds of things you can do at this point, which we will we will get to. But I thought it good that we just talked through like a fermentation curve, even though we don't have it visually. Absolutely, um, yeah. Because it's such an important part of, of this. And it's also really important as a professional brewer of like doing lab samples every day and pulling and doing gravities and whatnot and all the other stuff because you can see this yeah. stuff happening on paper. You okay. mentioned long-chain sugars earlier, too. So long-chain sugars are what are going to put you potentially at risk for more conversion at that point. Yeah. Also, and there's things you could potentially do to control the amount of long-chain sugars yeah. you have left at that point as well. 
Yep. Either through less potential to have them exist, or the other thing why I'm mentioning this is I think sometimes people are concerned that maybe they have unconverted starch, which is why you would have an issue with this. But that's probably not as likely as. Well, dextrins are also in that bucket, yeah. and we use dextrins for mouthfeel and flavor. Exactly. Thank you. Uh, yeah. yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. But we've but we've come to understand at Russian River, at least, and a lot of other professional breweries, that we don't need to be as scared in using you know a higher mash temperature to get more mouthfeel, a little bit of dextrin malt because we've cleaned up our act in so many other areas which we'll get to okay. you can leave the so. mouthfeel intact without having to yeah really scorch that out yeah to, to attack yeah this problem. and and granted there's some amazing breweries out there that make beer well under two plato mm-hmm. okay you know as they're finishing you know with really high um fermentability sure. but um i personally like my ipas finishing at about two and a half plato okay and so can i at the risk of either jumping ahead or or oversimplifying this this is a full-on hypothetical because I know it's not really possible. But hypothetically, if at that three-and-a-half Play-Doh on our fermentation curb, if it was viable and not harmful to other things to pasteurize the wort at that point of all yeast before dry hopping, would we not even be having this conversation anymore? Correct. And there's a brewery. I was on a panel at CBC like in one of the COVID years, and um, there was a brewer from Australia Okay. And he pasteurizes his beer and yeah. then dry hops it. It's okay. exactly what you because you're just said. Re- is, is if you were to just remove the yeast entirely, and you can do that yeah. too. Okay, yeah, you can I remove think all on the, the yeast that does on the east coast that does it. Yeah, okay. one of those New England IPA producers. Oh right, okay. That I'm not remembering the name of. Yeah, because okay. I confuse yeah. the area. Uh, that's okay. Yeah, but I, they pasteurize. Interesting. Yeah. Again, though, in that spirit of you know, solve one problem, maybe introduce another. There, there's something sort of intangible about that interaction of the hop material and and live right. yeast that are present that makes a good beer a good beer. And right. Which is why yeah, 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 yeah. I understand yeah. that it's not really a viable or even like yeah. we just taste wise we wouldn't want it. But a tempting thing to try though, just to see if it would. Limit, I think limit the yeah. issue. I think the yeah. taste for me would be the big thing. But like this this brewer from Australia, who I'm spacing on his name, that was on this panel with at CBC. He did that. That's how they made their IPA. They just they just pasteurized it, and that's why Tom Shellhammer, who was leading that uh, roundtable, uh, that discussion, he wanted this specific brewer on because he knew he was pasteurizing. And it was such an out there idea. Yeah, um, especially for small brewers. Yeah. yeah, but there's more and more breweries with pasteurizers. Okay, now because of all the Beyond Beer stuff they make, sure. non alcoholic, and so right. anyways. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that's our fermentation curve, and, and yep. uh, just a, a basic understanding of how that uh, that that curve's going to jump just a little bit before yep. before things keep going. Um, okay, what's next? I'd I'd say we look at just the different formats okay. of hops. So we've got obviously whole cone hops, um, T ninety pellets. Those are regular standard run of the mill pellets that we've all been using for decades. Yep. Um, you've got the concentrated hop pellets which would old school would be t45 so that means that about 50 percent of the green matter has been reduced okay um now that's been replaced uh, in a lot of uh areas in the industry with um cryogenically concentrated hops so things like cryo from yakima chief cgx from crosby um, what's uh, Haas is, uh, I think that's Lupomax, maybe. I could be wrong there. Anyways, whichever okay. one. Anyways, all the companies have their own 
their own brand of sure, yeah. You know, they couldn't just make it easy on us. And, <laughs> no, and, no, and so T forty fives were originally reduced by using mechanical refrigeration, whereas now all these companies are using you know like liquid nitrogen or liquid CO two to get it really cold, and then they're shaking out the lupulin out of it and concentrating that with some green matter. Um, but then you've also got flowable hops now, which some of the beers that we're pouring tonight have flowable hops that we're testing. What does that mean? So that means that that's hops that have also have been turned into extract. Like normally we think of hop extract as for bittering. Yeah. Uh, and and although the old school hop extract can be used for regular, you know, mid-boil, end-of-boil additions. But, um, I, you know, now the hop industry is doing the extracting in such a way to retain a lot of the oil. So you've got these flowable hops. And so in from the step down of T90, regular pellets, mm-hmm. to a concentrated pellet like cryo or CGX, you now remove 50% of the hop matter. Right. Well, if you read between the lines what Jessica mentioned, the enzymes are living in the hop matter, and so that's why you want to get it out of the cone as quick as possible Got once it. you've gotten the oils out of it. Now if you take that and turn it into a, an extract or an oil that's even more concentrated, you've removed even more of the green matter now you're talking about, you know, having a much less okay. uh, potential issue with hop creep. But you still need to add some regular hops in. Um, an interesting thing For about... other reactions. To, and to, yeah, to get mouthfeel, polyphenols, that sort of thing, to give you mouthfeel and other okay. contributions. But the interesting thing about whole cone hops, and Sierra Nevada talks about this, is that they when they dry hop with the torpedo and their whole cone hops, yeah. they see almost no hop creep. Really? Yeah, because the hops haven't been crushed or pulverized. Yeah, the whole cone hops in my study also were on the least amount of creep. There was still creep, but it was the less amount. Uh, And then cryo and T90 were on the other end um, of the So I'm surprised at this because I was just going to ask you then, if we did another graph of highest hop creep potential to lowest, I would have put whole cone at the top of that graph (laughs) and and some of the, the flowable at the bottom. And you're saying not so. Yeah, the whole cone is pretty impressive. Wow. It wasn't until Sierra Nevada started messing around with pellets with some of their newer brands that they were like, huh, (laughs) (laughs) now we're dealing with the same thing that everyone everyone else is. But what am I missing there then? I hear you're talking about the processing, but what does that do that makes it more... I think processing is probably the most important factor with hop creep, 100%. You're essentially selecting different parts of the plant. And when you select different parts of the plant, you're selecting, like, the different sugar contents of those plants. You're selecting the oils. What are those attached to? You're selecting different enzymes that are in different parts. So, And when it's in the whole cone form, it's inside the cell still, right? Like, it's still encased in the cell of the plant. Okay. But when you've pulverized it, this is how you do it in a lab. You gr- If you have whole cone, you literally put it in a grinder and grind it up to get the enzymes out or get the sugars out. Got it. So, essentially, they're coming from the hop companies pre-pulverized and pre-exposed, mm. pre-open to the world right. to yeah. destroy hop, hops, your beer. Hops go through a hammer mill. Whole right. cone hops to be yeah. turned into a pellet. So, by pulverizing them, you've just exposed... Everything, Everything. Nice. and and so that's why whole cone hops tend to be 
Okay. Less. Less. Yeah. You're just liberating less of those enzymes. They're staying with the plant material, essentially. So this yeah. is like one of those leave nature alone arguments. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like it was fine before yeah. we started pulverizing. Yeah. I mean, if I can, you wanted... I can just see Ken Grossman going into the lab going... <laughs> I freaking told you so. Yeah. Holcomb hops all the way. Yeah. You guys, you young whippersnappers. And, and then Ken's like, this is why I won't retire. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I, mean, I always, I always, Natalie and I always tell Ken that he's a terrible uh, mentor for retirement. <laughs> he totally is, yeah. yeah. Hey, Ken, uh, you're retired. How many hours are you working? I'm down to 40. I think now he's back to 80. He's probably so, yeah. I love you, Ken. That's funny. Okay, so that's good to know. Um, it, so it essentially exists across all of the, the formats, but you could look and see what's going to have more of it and what isn't. Yeah. yeah. And whole hops being yeah. the least. So They are the least, yeah. Okay. Um, all right. What is good, t- good time to take a break, maybe. Sure. Uh, sure. We'll take a, a quick break, and then we can... Um, Let's get into what those fermentable sugars are that are that are being reintroduced into the liquid or, or freed, I guess, um, and talk about uh, some more methods of, of what we can do to uh, to help ourselves. Hang in there. You're listening to the session, and we'll be right back after this. Welcome back to the session. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. We're still with Russian River talking about hop creep. And before we do that, hey, Black Friday is better with Blickman. Go to BlickmanEngineering.com. And whether you're just getting started out in your brewing journey or ready to upgrade your brew game, they've got you covered. You'll want to make sure that you mark your calendars uh, because there's limited quantities available. So that's this Black Friday. Discounts automatically populate at checkout. No need to worry about discount codes. Just go to BlickmanEngineering.com. Shop to your heart's content and uh, get a little discount from uh, one of our wonderful sponsors over at Blickman Engineering. All right. So, Jessica, you've been helping us, uh, certainly helping me get a grasp of um, hop creep. And now we're going to talk about uh, total fermentable sugar production in hops, which this is sort of one of the new things to brewers, which we just never thought of sugar and hops together before. But it's kind of the crux of this conversation. Sure. Yeah. Um, I'll go as deep or as not deep as you want me to okay. here because I can go crazy. Sure. Yeah. So just cut me <laughs> off when it starts getting too much. Fair enough. Um, okay. So we as brewers are really familiar with the fermentable guys, uh, maltose being the primary sugar and wort, uh, maltotriose, glucose, fructose, um, and we have starch in the mash and that gets broken down to dextrins. Those dextrins would then be cut up again by the same kind of enzymes uh, into the simple sugars, maltose, glucose, fructose, maltotriose. Um, So plants make sugar. We know that uh, from the mash and the barley, but they're also going to be in hops. I took some notes. Um, So like I said, they use sucrose to kind of as the main transport mechanism. And then everything else is in hexoses, which are going to be glucose and fructose. Um, They use those for storage, signal, cell wall components, other stuff. So that can all be contributing to that two to three percent that we're thinking about with the free simple sugar. After you get that pulverized hot product, which is a pellet, um, you have that two to three percent just like openly available. And just so I understand that number, you're saying that Two to three percent of the all of the matter in the hops can be fermentable sugars. Yes, okay. like I call it free sugar. Yeah, like yeah, free, yeah. unbound, not starch laden. Okay. Um, Vinny and Russian River have done some really great work on the seed stuff, and that's where 
Hops are interesting because they don't, when they reproduce, they don't do it by wind or anything else. They kind of have their seeds just fall down mm. and then they go right there. So they don't need a lot of starch within the seeds. Okay. So there's a small starch component there. But if we're saying there's a big debate if it's microbial or hop, but hops are going to have the enzymes to break down the starch in those seeds. Those, so. That will be broken down. If those are ground up in pelletized matter, that ah. starch will also be broken down. That's currently unaccounted for. I'm attempting to measure it. It's not <laughs> going it's, well. <laughs> it's elusive still. <laughs> it's okay. elusive. Um, so there is also potential for starch. Um, so not only do you have this free sugar, you have a lot of these cellular components that potentially have sugar that are released. And then you have starch-laden sugar within hops that are also released, not including then the dextrin content that is in your beer that will then be released. Okay. So sugar's the main thing here we need to be thinking about, yeah. um, and not just the enzymes. Like, okay. The enzymes are really important, but there's a lot of other stuff going on. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, just back to seeds, are, are you saying then that it's so back to my pothead days, it was always way better to have weed without seeds. Is that true in hops? Is that what we're saying? Uh, that's the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll we'll uh, we'll talk about in a little bit yeah. here, like this huge rabbit hole that we went down at Russian River on hop seeds. I see. So. Yeah. But I, when, uh, when you go to, even before this this science, yeah. right? When you went to hop selection, it wasn't exactly desirable to have a bunch of seeds in there, was it? No, and, and yeah. that's something Natalie and I look for. Yeah. When we go okay. to hops, I mean, and most, a lot of people are like, oh, how do you figure, how do you know seeds? Like, once you know what a seed is, looks like. Yeah, it's all you, you can, can just see. see. <laughs> we'll, we'll sit there at hop selection and be like pushing them out. Yeah. Okay. You know, and then like give a pile of seeds to the our rep at the broker or grower and be like, hey. Right. Here, you want my seeds? Don't give us this batch. Okay. I mean, right. even samples that I was getting for my research that were donated, and yeah, they they had very visible seeds okay. in them. So I would say it's... And the thing is, in pelletized matter, if you're not going to hop selection, if you're not lucky enough to have that opportunity and you're buying just T90s... Totally. You don't know how much seeds, seeds is in there. were oh, uh, yeah. processed up in they've, there. They've been pulverized right. and the seeds are contributing, which I'll, I'll talk about the study in yeah. a minute, but it's, it's just, crazy. It's part of that homogenized pellet. There's, it, no, there's absolutely it, no way to know, even if you broke exactly. it apart, what was the seed material and what wasn't. Yep. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. sadly, okay. Okay. sugar. It but, all could potentially turn into simple sugars. Exactly, yep. yeah. Okay, so no matter what, just sugar, sugar everywhere is basically what we're it's saying. All, all over the place. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and the enzymes. And, and the, the enzymes. Yep, yeah. yeah. those two things combined. Okay. So so now is where the problems start to arise. Right? Yeah, and, and the, the you know, we've already discussed the safety stuff, the legal concerns. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about the the negative flavor diacetyl, okay. which we've we've mentioned several times now. Um, and isn't this where it really started to become on the radar for brewers anyway? It wasn't so much, the at first, the legal concerns. Yeah. It was like, whoa, what happened yeah. to this beer? I mean, Allagash did see, like, whoa, the you know, beer is supposed to be two and a half volumes, and it's 2.75, whatever yeah, it was. Yeah, sure. But there was also this flavor thing that diacetyl came up. And, and so, you know, hop creep causes diacetyl. It's that secondary fermentation. And, and and I I think we've 
gone through that enough now, so I, I think we just jump right to like the testing of it. Okay, how we and, know it's uh, there. Yeah, because we know hop creep causes secondary fermentation. That's going to be a spike in the VDK diacetyl. And so there's, there's four things you can do. Um, there's time, just wait it out and watch your, you know, and then while you're, every day you're taking a gravity you know, check. And, right. and that's, you know, if you, if you see more than 0.1 degree Play-Doh drop a day, you're, even if you don't have any fancy equipment or you're not doing a forced diacetyl test, yeah. you're probably going to have too high of a diacetyl level to, to drop the temperature and eventually package it. Okay. So then you can do a forced um, VDK diacetyl test. And that's where you take a sample of your beer out of the tank. You, um, it's best to spin out the yeast if possible, mm-hmm. heat it up uh, to a certain temperature, cool it back down, you know, let it rest, and then you come and you smell it. Mm-hmm. And that process of heating it up um, basically exposes the diacetyl and you can smell it. Okay. The problem there is that when you get really close to, at least problem for me, um, when you get really close to it being done with the diacetyl rest, yeah. your beer now smells like, you know, cooked beer, cardboard, because you just heat <laughs> up the sample. Right, and you're like, oh, it's bad. And and you smell it, and I personally have a harder time at that point to go, well, is that the diacetyl? I see. Or is that yeah. just crappy-smelling beer that I would definitely wouldn't want to drink, but right. you're only smelling it. But anyway, so you've got time the forced diacetyl test. Um, and then you can do a, a diacetyl test on the spectrophotometer. Um, and then fourth, you can get fancy and, and high-end. And this is what, what we do, is we also have a gas chromatograph, or a GC, yeah, uh, okay. for, for short. And so there you can run the sample through, and it'll actually quantify that number and put it into a number. So we, we do three of the four. We don't We don't run a a diacetyl test on the spectrophotometer because we have the gas chromatograph, the GC. Yeah. But we're still looking at gravity every day. Okay. We're doing forced diacetyl tests. These are on the, well, it's on all beers, but yeah. um, we're talking dry hot beers today, of course. And then we're also running the GC. But we don't start doing the GC number test or the forced until like four days into dry hop. I see. We just know that um, it's going to be there. That it's going to be there. So why spend the money, waste the time? And the interesting thing is if you if you drop the... Let's say you clear in two days, which could happen yeah. with the right practices, and then you drop the temperature, and going back to the thing that Jessica was saying about you know cause and effect, well, a lot of times you may now... You, you're, you haven't cleaned up some of the off flavors, like maybe there's acetaldehyde or there's sulfur from your hops... And we, we had this idea, this thing called, we call it quick crash dry hop. It was an idea to try to dry hop and, and, not, and not even let hop creep start. Okay. And we, Jessica was helping us with it from afar, this crazy idea that I had. Yeah. So we would, we would quick crash dry hop. And so we could, we could get a beer, all the hop goodness out of it in 24 hours, and we would crash the tank and drop the temperature. But the beers had either sulfur 
or this uh, like pumpkin gourd innard smell, which is acetaldehyde. Uh, and we we think it was because the beer just didn't sit long enough. So okay, we don't quick crash dry hop, and we blended so much beer away <laughs> blending the quick crash dry hop. Just to so, try. <laughs> yeah, but anyways, but you got to test to learn. So anyway, so we're why doing do you, all these tests. Why do you do the forced diacetyl if you have the technology to do to just know from the gastro? Just in case. The GC goes down. Because you're Vinny. And it has. <laughs> oh, right. Then, okay. you're, then yeah. you've practiced it. You've yeah. done it. It's part of the normal process. Exactly. Yeah. And we, okay. we like having multiple places to check. And like three people have to smell and sign off before we'll drop the temperature. Okay. Um, and I want to rely too much, as much on That's technology. I mean, we love the it. The GC but, might be expensive. Yeah. And how long does that take? How long does the GC take? Is it fairly quick? Or no. It and, and it costs money, too. I mean, yeah. it's it's throughout the day we're running. I can't remember specifically. But anyway, so diacetyl is a big deal. And um, so, um, but there's ways to get around all this, too. Yeah. You know, and not completely. Okay. But. Well, before we move on, uh, we haven't talked about the amazing beers that you uh, brought for us here okay. too. So you've been doing a lot of, uh, you've been doing an R&D series. Yep. Um, and I've seen you in your little toy brew house yep. when I go to Windsor. As Natalie calls it my second <laughs> office. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I believe that because I'm pretty sure every time I've been there in the yeah. last year, it's where I find you. <laughs> um, so, and you're you're uh, researching new hop products and varieties and things like that. Yeah. So in our, can we talk about what's in our glass right now? Yeah. Yeah. So this is R&D IPA 31. Okay. And this is is testing a brand new hop from Siegel Ranch. Siegel's one of our hop growing partners. Siegel's a unique hop grower because they grow almost all of their hops. You can buy direct from them. Okay. And in, they're in, in Washington. Yeah, Washington, they're in yeah. Grand, Grandview, Washington. John Siegel is a uh, third generation hop grower. Nice. And his ranch manager, Martin Ramos, is an amazing uh, hop grower. I, I call him one of the two great hop whispers. Okay. Um, although there's many, but yeah, he yeah. just has this thing with hops. And so uh, Martin started breeding some hops for themselves. And last year they released Zumo. Zumo and okay. Zumo's got this really cool lime quality. But this one was this brand new hop that Natalie and I rubbed this year. And I remember rubbing it and smelling it. And I couldn't stop smelling my hands. It smelled like oranges. Like you'd cut an orange, yeah. like that fresh smell. And, and John looked at me and he goes, That's, that was my reaction too. And so uh, we were lucky enough to get one of the few boxes of... Tangier hops, as it's called. So this okay. this beer is 100% Tangier. It smells amazing. And, and often you wouldn't make a beer with 100% of the same hop. But the idea is just to look at that flavor contribution. I've been looking for a citrus orange hop for a long time, and I'm so happy that this has come along. So I'm really excited for, for Tangier from Siegel. This is amazing. It's yeah. like orange blossom or tangerine yeah. sauce. Yeah, it's like a zest. It's like freshly zested. Yeah. <laughs> and, and as a single hop beer, it's also complex because we're, yeah. we're talking about how orangey it is, but it's also, it's not just like mm-hmm. orange. There's, there's a lot going on. Yeah. And and it's I was so excited, like cautiously uh, excited. And I would text uh, John and Martin be like, okay, I just added the dry hops, you know, too early to tell. And then the day that we crashed the tank and dropped the temperature, you know, come back later in the day and was like, ah, oh, it still smells like orange. And, yeah. and I was texting him. And then, you know, when we racked it, find it, carbonated it, texted them again. And then, you know, eventually got to the point where uh, John lives in New York for okay. most of the year. And then Martin is on the ranch. So I sent a keg up to to martin and then john gets growlers yeah, and, uh, yeah so it's it's cool though to support a small grower like like siegel sure. and uh you know his his dad was a 
very large Willamette grower for Anheuser-Busch. Oh, wow. And and unfortunately, there was a time, you know, a couple decades ago when, or even less than that, when AB just pulled those contracts out and they switched, didn't use Willamette anymore. And Siegel was one of those farms that was left like, uh, <laughs> and, you know, and Lagunitas bought hops from them okay. direct and yeah. um, still do. Uh, but Anchor bought their Northern Brewer from them nice. forever. So if anyone needs Northern Brewer hops, John's got them because with Anchor, okay. yeah, yeah. I'm closing unfortunately. But um, excellent. But yeah. it's cool to see. And, and Martin's uh, used to breed hops with Chuck Zimmerman. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chuck was Jason Peralt's uh, predecessor, and uh, Mar- Martin's uh, brother Marcos was a great hop breeder. Okay, um, who was actually involved with breeding Sabro? Oh yeah, which was HBC whatever. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so these these guys just have it in their blood. And Martin, yeah. Martin's bred a couple of good hops, but I'm I'm really excited about Tangier. It's excellent. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. If you're in the area, we've got seven different Russian River beers on tap. I predict most of them will be here through Wednesday night, um, but it's a big night Wednesday, so get here. Uh, maybe we'll have some left on Black Friday. But a good five of them are from your R and D department. Yep. So I don't think people can get them anywhere else right now. There might be a couple still on in Wednesday. I suppose. Yeah, we just put IPA 32 on, which we brought you a keg of. Yeah. The Pale Ale 12 hasn't even gone on in Windsor. Nice. I drove that one down. And that's an interesting one, testing uh, YCH 701, which is one of those flowable extracts. It's super, super concentrated, made really just for dry hopping. Um, So that was the Pale Ale 12. And then the IPA, uh, R&D IPA 31, or 32, excuse me, is using a different flowable hop from Yakima Chief, uh, YCH 702. Okay. And that's both um, hot side, cold side. And um, so that, you know, Yakima Chief and other hop companies have been uh, really expanding and testing and really pushing the boundaries of what hops are yeah so these are like hop extracts but that have been extracted at different parameters to really retain their oils sure and it can be really efficient it can be cost effective you can have better yield it can reduce diacetyl which or a a hop creep like we talked about earlier which reduces diacetyl right there's a lot of benefits to it and so i can see like some brewers going oh i don't want that which with witchcraft hocus pocus yeah but to me there's a there's a reason that we're testing it we're cautious going into it yeah. we don't just like hey we're just going to switch over we're not like this has been something we've been testing for over a year now okay this next year we start monkeying around with it a little bit on the large scale just like we did <clears throat> excuse me with concentrated Pop with cryo or CGX. It's not something we just jumped right in. No, you got to test yeah. it. And yeah. they're variety specific. Like you're buying a Simcoe or a Citra or something like this. Yeah, of, of, of yeah, these yeah. YCH seven hundred two is technically for the hot side for Whirlpool, but we've used it on dry hopping too. YCH seven hundred one is specifically for dry hopping. That one you can buy seven hundred two now. Seven hundred one is still like in the R and D phase, and they're both so. liquid. Yeah, they're both real liquid flowable. Um, the 701 is like like an oil. I mean, it comes in a little canister, tiny mm, little thing. Like a tiny amount. Yeah. And then the 702 comes in a little, uh, what looks like a quart of oil, like an oil quart. It's, it's a pretty good package. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, but yeah, both flowable. Just pull them out of the fridge an hour before and add whatever you need. Amazing. So they're pretty pretty cool. And I said all the other big hop companies have these things and they're working on it sure but um i can't i don't want to go down the rabbit hole about it but i can't help but think that the rise of legal cannabis and and what they're doing in the cannabis industry hasn't helped these hop growers 
figure out these formats. I've I've heard, I don't know if this is true, but I've heard that like the extraction in the cannabis world has inspired yeah, the hop companies, the brokers. I don't see how it know, couldn't. Yeah, really, you yeah. know, the Steiners, the Haas, the Yakima Chiefs of the world right. that have these extracting plants to come up with different ways to extract to retain yeah. the goodness that that we want. Sure. So. Plus, with the with the amount of money in cannabis, they can afford the research that we can then adopt in the hops world, right? So. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right? Like that's the money, how, yeah. yeah. It's always a big thing yeah. in academia. It's right? Like, where You're is like, the money coming from? You're like, legalize more weed. We're, it's helping yeah. us. Yeah. Invest in beer. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Like it. All right. Well, why don't we start to dive into uh, mitigation strategies All right. and how brewers can, can reduce hop creep? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll start. We touched on this earlier at hop selection. Um, you know, some hop uh, brokers, growers will already have the hops pelleted when you get there. And, and that's cool because you do get to see the hops in their form as you would use it. Yeah. But the flip side is, is I would always ask for whole. the whole cone as well because we're always looking for seeds. Okay. Um, there's, there's a... Um, of there's some amarillo that we really like a specific field not just a farm a specific field <laughs> okay, in yeah. Oregon that every year had tons of seeds and we weren't really paying attention okay and we would select it and we would have the worst case of oh. hop creep and we once we figured it out we started selecting around this field, even though it's still to this day when Natalie and I go there and we rub it, it's like, oh. It's so too bad. And it's yeah. like, so and we'll good. use it on the hot side. We'll take it for a whole cone because we, okay. we have a hot back, but we won't take that field anymore. It always has a high seed content. Okay. And, and so we just skip it. So that, that's like really important is a hop selection. And if you can't do hop selection, you, 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 there's nothing you can do. You yeah. just kind of got to live with it. So. Do you think there's a correlation between seed and better smelling hops? Yeah. Um, <laughs> like they're I've, producing. I've had many um, hop growers tell me that a little bit of seed makes for a more impactful hop. Wow. And I said, that's fine, but it's still causing hop yeah, creep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, it's not uh, worth it. Yeah, and it's not worth the, the agony. Not so, for that part of the process. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. we've, we've talked about using concentrated you know, hops. Um, but one, one thing that we did do years ago, we did a, a, our mostly, it's mostly Simcoe, uh, Row 2 Hill 56 beer. Mm-hmm. And that was a great beer to test because we could do it with all Simcoe. And all T90, and then start throwing in the uh, concentrated, the cryo. Yeah. And we, at the time, we reduced the, the uh, dry hop time by like three or four days wow. by, by introducing some of the dry hops being cryo. Okay. Your last batch of row two that we had here, I talked to you about. I was really excited yeah, about it. Yeah, remember I just that? Said, oh, it's, I don't know what you yeah. did, but it's, it's great. And I believe you said, "Well, we've we've." That's when you changed the cryo, right? Uh, or yeah, more of it. We yeah, we adjusted that, and we introduced a little bit of mosaic. Oh, okay. Into it, just a tiny bit. Got it. Yeah. Which is legal. Yeah, <laughs> because Mosaic is Simcoe's daughter. Okay, uh, most, so, most so, people so don't know. That. Yeah. Most people don't know that, but but it did work. That's what yeah. now I'm remembering. That's what it was because yeah. I came to you and said, "Hey, I don't know what you did, but it's my yeah. favorite row too." And you said, "Yeah, we yeah. Had some mosaic. yeah we we're, we're we've been mucking around with that recipe." Okay. okay, Jessica, are you familiar with the work OSU has done with kiln temperature? Um, some of it. 
I was also going to ask you, do you know what the kiln temperature was in the 1800s when they did the first paper? I, I don't know, like, but but there's that cool part of the freshening power hops where they're like, they're too low. Right. They, so I just want to raise them. Yeah, 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 he calls out in 1893, like yeah, those yeah. guys. Yeah, so there was some work done at OSU on kiln temperature, and I'm spacing on... Um, uh, the young lady's name who did all the the grad work and whatnot. I think she's already she's now done. Are you grad- Yeah, uh, I don't. Kirkpatrick. No, no, no. There was someone else as well that did kiln temp. But anyways, and at the same time, we did kiln temperature work at the brewery. So for two or three years, I convinced uh, several of our hop growers who pretty much grow all of the hops for the dry hop in Pliny to take a portion of the volume of hops we'd buy from them. So Centennial, Simcoe, Citra, Chinook, whatever varieties, Amarillo, and kiln a small amount at a higher temperature. Yeah. And so we had 135 and 145 kilned hops. And then we would make batches of Pliny with a, all dry hopped with the 145, which is what OSU did three years of work. And in short, the higher kiln temperature will reduce hop creep a little bit as well. Okay. So it kills off enzymes. Exactly. Right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So. And then, and then um, sorry, and then uh, without again a rabbit hole, but did it have other adverse effects by going up to it, that? You know, the interesting thing was I sent samples to Tom up at OSU. I sent them back to a hop scientist friend in the Midwest who tasted them with a flavor expert. Okay, we did our own internal tasting. Everyone liked or couldn't tell the difference. The higher kiln, better. Nice. But what we saw like a month later was the the flavor wasn't bad but it was more woody and earthy okay and it had lost its fruitiness sooner interesting i so wanted the 145 of course, to, to of work course. <laughs> and just be of perfect course. and yeah. and be like well that's cool but and so it, it wasn't a negative but yeah. it didn't hold that nice fruitiness that okay. we like which makes so. sense is it yeah. true that kilning temperatures on average dropped at some point in the last 10 years, which contributed to some of this. It is, yeah, yeah. So I mentioned briefly earlier that um, I had met Jessica through the Hop Quality Group, which is an organization that we helped uh, start 14 years ago or something. There was like seven original, eight original brewery members, us, Sierra Nevada, Firestone, Mm -hmm. Bells, Nuclearis. I'm missing a few. Anyways, and one of the things, the early research that was done was kiln temperature and so tom nielsen from sierra was a part of this along with dr val peacock and val and and tom went out and like literally go into the kilns and they would dig down and get hops from the very bottom the middle and the top and they basically did uh, moisture content because really what we get is a homogenized mixture Hmm. so long story short we i mean there was already some farms kilning at 125 to 130 135 on the high end of the low end, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But most farms are 145 to 155 back then. And so the hop quality group, most of the work, most of the reason why most farms kiln at a lower temperature is because of this work that hop quality group did to lower the kiln temperature to protect those delicate oils. Ah. But the unforeseen consequence was that seems when hop creep got Really bad. Really bad. Uh, <laughs> really bad. So a brewer who doesn't yeah. have access to selection is maybe getting T90s during that time period, assuming that they're going to do the same thing they did last year, the, this year. 
may have been caught by surprise exactly in that, in yeah. that equation yeah, yeah. yeah. especially yeah. if they were considering increasing the dry hop yeah during that yeah. phase i think so. it's worth it th- for the extra aroma though like i know hop creep obviously sucks but i i i actually think it's worth it i think there's like good beer and like Vinny's saying like some of those delicate thiols and delicate things that are volatile yeah it's worth it to have them you're gonna the lose beer. those if you go too high the two yeah. the two yeah. the two problems there is if you're a brewer and they kiln for you at a higher temperature and you don't like them you need to buy them <laughs> right yeah that's <laughs> yeah. a done deal yeah. you're kind of stuck with them, you're right? stuck yeah. with them yeah. and there there was i won't say which farm but there was one farm that we got some hops from that kilned at a higher temperature and, and when we, we they sent us everything because I said I still want to do a normal selection and Natalie and I went through it blind and I didn't like oh, those no. ones but we took them we had to yeah, right. yeah. Um, the That's other fair. the other issue there is that as a grower if you're kiln it at a higher temperature you don't have as much control to stop the kiln whereas if it's a lower temperature it's more of a soft okay graph whereas it's more of a spike uh, yeah. if it's high so anyways um, but I, I you know what I want to talk a little bit about because this was the biggest thing for us was yeast health okay yeast health like was above and beyond anything else we did that helped us along with getting our zinc our so yeast nutrient in order but so so yeast health let's zinc will be a part of that too but things like um you know having just better yeast at the start of fermentation better viability healthier yeast better vitality you know all the things that you know, you hear like Chris White on your shoulder. I was going to say Chris White right now. I'm so happy about this conversation. <laughs> I can tell you. See, my my brain goes straight to Graham Stewart. I'm okay, such a yeah, Graham Stewart yeah, fan. Like, yeah, yeah. He's all about the zinc and the yeah, yeah. Trehalose reserves. Yeah, so. Chris was sitting front row or at the CCBA summit when Tom and I were talking, and we were talking yeast, and he was like, "Yes." <laughs> <laughs> well, um, and you haven't even finished this thought, but I have to tell you, my my brain jumped ahead to. Obviously, yeast health is talked about in in almost every circumstance that it's just better for beer, right? It's just yep. we've been talking about that for a while. Yeah. Okay, but in this sense, it almost sounds a little counterintuitive. If the yeast were just a little more tired and used up at the dry hopping process, wouldn't they not process these sugars? Is what I would want to think. They would go through slower, right? If they're okay. like sluggish in their metabolism, there's also like this. Uh, like shift when they have to like utilize different sugars that takes time to okay. create the enzymes to even digest the certain sugars. Yeah. So if you're saying like, I want my yeast at the most optimum zone so they can eat through this as quickly as possible, they would be doing that at the peak of fermentation. They would yeah. be doing that at okay. the peak of their health. If they're sluggish, it's going to take them forever to get through the new sugars that are created. I or, see. And also... The diacetyl, the valine synthesis, right? Like that's all of when they're creating valine, they are producing diacetyl as like this off byproduct. And so if they've already got most of their valine good to go and they're not sluggish, they don't need to create more valine and more diacetyl. So you want them to be at peak health and like at peak uh, fermentation almost sure. like ready to go yeah ready to digest anything that comes at them just to get through it fast yeah yeah, okay. yeah and then and then you need it to be healthy to take up that diacetyl from the secondary fermentation yeah. Yeah. and so okay one of the things that we um figured out through our internal research was that we weren't adding enough zinc okay and it's interesting on one of these panels i did for cbc um Adam uh, Bocamp from uh, Creature Comfort was on, and same thing. He was like, "Oh, we're like we were so under 
on our zinc and and I thought at that point we had already fixed it and we weren't even close. Mm. We needed to do more. So so we're we're adding um, it's about 0.08 to 0.1 grams, so tiny amounts of zinc per barrel of of wort. Okay. And that'll get you about 0.3 to 0.4 part per million zinc. And that's on the cold side we're adding it. Okay. That's our that that's one of the, the most question. interesting yeah. things that we that we do and a lot of breweries most breweries add zinc on the hot side, but you have to add a lot more, and it can be a lot more inconsistent because the zinc gets bound up in all that trube in the kettle. Yep. Someone someone told me like you have to add like five times as much, and we've been doing it this way for long enough now. I can't even remember how much we used to add, but so we we mix it in a sterile water and then inject it in line okay. uh, at the big brewery, at the little brewery. A meat and his team just go and just dump it into the tank. But, Pre-fermentation. Yeah, so when the wort's going in, yeah, exactly, okay. and then we add the yeast in. Um, and then and then malt has a little bit of zinc contributed to it as well. Like I think it's like 0.1 part per million. But anyways, and, and it's toxic at one, roughly one part per million. So you have a pretty big runway before you add too much zinc that it's going to okay. kill your yeast. Um, but zinc became one of our cornerstones that we watched and sent samples off and it's hard to test zinc because let's say you add the zinc you then now need to homogenize the tank to be able to pull a sample before you add the yeast because if you add the yeast, the yeast is going to start using it immediately. Oh wow! And and so it's really hard to test. And then I think you have to have like special. You have to have a special bottle, and like it has to be like it's. it's, it's it'll really, get tainted. The, it'll the get bound. Zinc is oh, uh, positive, okay. and so it will bind to like everything because wow. most things are negative. Yeah, yeah, so it takes like a special lab vial yeah. wow. that you need yeah. to then send it off to a lab to do the test. Um, but it's but it's really important. So, okay. anyways, um, that's that's definitely uh, something that we've um, have just focused on. Probably a very amazing. overlooked variable in this yeah. equation. I think that yeah. was one of the things I was struggling with on the homebrew level mm. when I'm trying to attack this problem. Yeah, and I thought I could do it on the hot side, but on the cold side isn't yeah. something that where people do that as much. I think on the very, yeah. very small level. That's yeah. Cool. yeah, that's very yeah. cool. Then, um, hey, you want to talk about like dumping the yeast? And pH and just... Uh, sure, just yeah. The... Um, pH is really cool if you're a scientist. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Maybe. yeah. It was discovered at, a, I think, Carlsberg, like, or Vines. Anyways. Okay. Um, so, dumping yeast, as we mentioned, you're, um, there's really important reasons for this. Uh, autolysis can release, I think it's uh, enzyme A that ruins your foam, mm. uh, mm-hmm. which Charlie would be happy I'm mentioning. Yep. Um, <laughs> pH can have... I heard a quote one time, I think it's from John Palmer, that said, if you can't taste everything you've put in a beer, you're at the wrong pH. And I really take that to heart even when, like, I'm cooking (laughs) at home. Um, And so we know that there's a pH drop that goes all the way from the mash tun into the fermentation vessel, and then it continues to drop. But then once you add hops, they can start increasing the pH. And this can, of course, cause stuff that happens in fermentation and stuff that happens with VDK. Um... Let's see. High, too high of a pH does not promote a VDK reduction. Okay. Um, so obviously that's a really important symptom you need to fix from dry, uh, dry hop creep. And yeah, dry hopping can add approximately 0.1 to 0.14 pH per pound per dry hops per barrel. So wow. you're like you're like yeah. fighting against yourself. You need a low pH 
to have your yeast be in a healthy state to reduce diacetyl. Okay. But when you dry hop every pound per barrel, you're going up, let's just say 0.1 for, you know, so now let's say you dry hop it four pounds per barrel. Yeah. You might go up as much as 0.4 uh, wow, scale yeah. on the pH. So if you dry hop, you know, at four point, even at 4.2, which is like a regular beer, finished beer, you could be up at 4.6. And then the other thing here is uh, technical food safety. Yeah. Your beer is out of spec with the FDA at 4.6 pH. Uh, That's okay. considered yeah. you're not an acidic product anymore. And technically, we as an industry are governed by the FDA, although very few people get um, checked. Right. checked. But this is one area that if go- keeps going unchecked, um, we've 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 run other breweries beers their finishing ph was 5.1 okay that's like our ph going into the fermenter these are beers that were dry hopped at like seven pounds per barrel or eight pounds per barrel but but so that so we so we sometimes will add a little phosphoric acid food grade phosphoric acid before the dry hop to mix it in and then um basically to reduce the dry the the pH so that when we add the dry hops we're starting at a lower number but most of the time we try to do this when we pitch the yeast I see. that we lower the pH then the fermentation happens you get a pH drop like Jessica mentioned right. and then um, we go into dry hop but if we have to we'll make a, a food grade phosphoric acid addition to adjust pH and then this diacetyl pH thing isn't as big of a deal okay and this again is just another one of those things along with the zinc and yeast health things that we've done to mitigate it it doesn't get rid of it but it certainly has helped reduce it yeah does that vary a lot based on uh sample uh data or do you stick to a specific amount and that seems to it could be different yeah Yeah. i mean like pliny we brew it enough that we know right that's pretty much the same almost every time but but like in the pilot brewery i'd i'd have our lab run a, a test Before and then changing. yeah a titrate a titrated ice acid test so that i know because of so much so much of what it is in the pilot brewery is research and development and this is different nate i might need you to help with this this is different than those like off the shelf ph stabilizers you can buy for your mash right like i forget yeah. what they're even called but you put that in to make sure your mash ph is fine this is now you can't do that then and hope that at the end on the cold side it's all going to be fine, right? No, Vinny's talking about doing things right, right Back before again, then. right yeah. on the, on the so cold side. You can't just side. do a pH stabilizer and forget about it. It's no, you need phosphoric acid yeah. or yeah. food grade lactic acid. Lactic acid. Okay, yeah, one of those two yeah. things. Yeah, and then there's um, ALDC. You want to talk about that, Jessica? It's an enzyme. See, love. <laughs> she loves enzymes. What does ALDC stand um, for? Alpha acetolactate decarboxylase. Okay. Which just means that it there's a kind of a subset of the molecule car, called a carboxyl group, and this enzyme removes the carboxyl group. So uh, v- uh, VDK or diacetyl is um, has a carboxyl group, and when you remove it, it turns into acetoin, which is still buttery aroma mm. and flavor, but it has a much higher threshold, so most people can't taste it or perceive it. Um, so uh, this, you add this enzyme in the fermenter at whatever they tell you to on the package, package, yeah. and then it removes our, all the carboxyl and kind of um, makes it so that it doesn't turn into diacetyl, essentially. Okay. Takes the precursor and makes it not turn into diacetyl. 
So this is the one then that I've heard the most talked about as if there was a silver bullet, it would be this. Well, I think that people forget that hop creep is not diacetyl. And like, I feel like that was my biggest struggle in the first five years of talking about hop creep is that it would be like, oh yeah, I get diacetyl in my beer. I'm like, that's great. That's a symptom. Yeah. And you're fixing the symptom with this treatment, but it's not a cure. Okay. Right. You're, yeah. st- you're still going to have hop creep. Okay. Yeah. And and the problem is, I mean, ALDC is great. I, I have a famous line that hop creep, I know it's, it was 1893, but hop creep, was in, <laughs> hop creep was invented by the producers of ALDC. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're yeah. laughing all uh, the way to the bank. The conspiracy yeah. theories here. Right? Oh, yes. Right. But, but, and so uh, you can add ALDC at yeast pitch or at dry hop or even later on. Like, oh, my God. You know, I just can't get rid of it. It's like, blah, 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 blah. Okay. problem is it's really expensive. Because okay. they knew. But yeah. it also, as you're saying, it's just a symptom. That's also not fixing the higher alcohol content you might get, the higher carbonation. It's not going to stop mm. any the of that. No. It's just going to yeah. take yeah. away the, di- yeah. the diacetyl. Yeah. Yeah. So exactly. if you, you add enough ALDC, you can get rid of the diacetyl. Because yeah. it doesn't get rid of it completely. Yeah, just but, below detectable. But it does, yeah, brings it down. But um you it, you still could have residual sugar left over, and you just decide to crash it because you 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 see it come clear. Okay. And there's yeast laced, laced with ALDC now as well. There's, oh, right. There's okay. you know a bioengineered, genetically engineered CRISPR. yeast that has uh, ALDC um, worked into it. Okay. So yeah, and then um, you know we talked I think enough about dumping the cone 24 to 72 hours, but I just mentioned that again that that's a that's something that's really important, and get keep dumping the cone. If you're a small brewery, yeah, you can dump your cone every day after dry hopping. Get even if it's the smallest amount, because you're also gonna getting that yeast out will also keep your pH from going up as well. Okay, so pretty but, simple technique. There. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a whole bunch of other considerations. You want me to run through them real quick? Well, we've got about want... nine minutes. Let's skip that, and then let's talk about seeds. Okay. Because the seeds is really interesting. So we did a bunch of research where basically we um, looked at hops. So we would uh, pull a certain, you know, hop. So we did Simcoe and Amarillo, Washington, Oregon over multiple years. A lot of times it was the same farm and the same field. And we would dry hop with the whole cone, like we talked about earlier. We would crush the whole cone up to mimic a pellet. Mm -hmm. We would break it apart and um, pull out all the seeds. And then we would dry hop with just the brack. That's a little leaf. Yeah. Or we would dry hop with the whole seed. Or we would dry hop with the crushed seed. Okay. And the crushed seed caused so much was hop creep. Yeah. But but what's interesting was... And so one of the fields was that Amarillo field that I talked about. Yeah. And, and, and so that one always had a lot of hop creep. But the... the and the Simcoe had almost no seeds in it. Okay. And so the whole idea of the study was to look at seeds and the, and there's a lot of enzymes. And this was, this was an idea given to us by uh, Dr. Val Peacock, who's helping us in a hop quality group. Val used to be the hop guy for Anheuser-Busch for years before he retired. Okay. But the, the Simcoe only had two, had two, had 2.7 fold lower attenuation rate compared to the, the Amar- compared to the Amarillo. Um, and so, the Amarillo basically, even though it had more seeds, had a lower attenuation rate um, compared to the Simcoe. So, like, Simcoe is one of those hops that seem to be, like, predisposed for 
right. hop creep. Um, but, I th- you know, and so what we talked about earlier was that crushed, when you get pellets, that's the whole hop run through a hammer mill. And so you've just just pulverized exposed everything, everything. Yeah. exposed it. And okay. one of the little side things that came out of this work we did with the seeds was, um, okay, well, first we knew, okay, crushed seeds, problem, whole cone hops, not as big of a deal. But at the end, one of our teams says, I wonder what if we just dry hop with the strig. So the strig is the stem okay. in the middle of the hop. So we sat there and plucked. Okay, first we would sit there and pluck <laughs> yeah. seeds out. Right. And then we, we one day said, well, let's just remove the bract, which is the, the little leaf. Yeah. Off the end. We just had the stem in the middle. And we dry hopped. We crushed it up and dry hopped with those. And we ended up getting 0.09 to 0.58 gravity drop wow. in Play-Doh. In, and, and we mimicked a couple pound per barrel, which obviously you wouldn't have that much strig. But the strig can amount to a huge amount of the weight okay. in the hop. And so there's enzymes in the strig yes. as well. Just to mess and, with us. And just, yeah. And so it's all <laughs> over. So this year we have hops pulled through hop selection, we want to do more of this and get a little bit deeper into it. Okay. So, so in, in theory, the cryo products and stuff like that would have less less of this. Exactly, yeah. because you've re- you've removed some of the the green matter, some of that string and, and yep. uh, seed matter and so yep. forth. Yeah. yeah, and then you know, there's uh, pelletine temperatures have come down mm-hmm. a little bit, so that would also uh, be less denaturing yes. okay. of the enzyme. Yeah. Um, fan, free amino nitrogen is something that some breweries have been looking at. Free amino, fan is normally from your malt that is only used for yeast health. Okay. But it turns out that, you know, maybe there's some correlation there with hop creep. I don't know if you've been following any of I have. that stuff. Do you guys want to know a small snippet about fan? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we sure um, do. So enzymes are proteins. Proteins have a carboxyl group and an amine group. The amine group is the important one that contains nitrogen. So we think of carbon as this like life force. All living things have carbon. I would also argue that most living things have nitrogen because in every protein there's those amino acids and that nitrogen has to be there to form the peptide bond. And that comes from free amino nitrogen that then the yeast can use or the plant can use to build proteins or enzymes or anything else they really want to build. So nitrogen ultra important to life yeah and i was just thinking how like how much life and the reproductive yeah. process has to do with what we're talking about i know that sounds silly to say it because it's obvious but it's fascinating yeah like to me i'm thinking of the seed and how it's problematic well a seed being so integral to reproduction has everything it needs right it's all there in a little package so yeah. that it can grow again so it makes sense to me that it's problematic yeah because well, all so those things the are the problem and the, the cone, cone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The cone is yeah. there as a form of reproduction. Okay. And we're just messing it all up. Right. right? Like yeah. we're interfering in this plant's process of moving forward. Totally. So it's kind of interesting to go back and think of it in that way, as you're saying. And yeah. like actually think about metabolically, like what's what's it making this for? Why does it care? Right. Why does it want to do this? And then say, like, how does this apply to hop creep? Yes. It's life and survival happening that, as you just said, we're interfering with. And what's the lupulin for? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this this takes it back to, like, the farming practices or to the farming practices of, like, it all starts in the farm. Sure. Duh, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. And and we kind of touched on it earlier, but there was this work that Tom Shellhammer and some of his 
team did at OSU, and it was a terroir study on hops. And so they looked at farms around Oregon, and they weren't too far from each other, but they looked at different flavor aroma contributions. But they also said, like, well, what if we just, you know, looked at some hop creep stuff because we already have collected all these hops. And so this article came out. It was investigating the effect of farm management, soil, and climate on hop diastaticus potential basically okay hop creep yeah and so some of the the and so they they studied uh simcoe mosaic and strata okay and just some of the highlights that i that i wrote down was quoted quote from this article was the enzymatic activity in hops trended upwards with higher levels of sulfur and zinc fertilization okay and then um in Simcoe, the three fields that received zinc fertilization also showed the highest enzymatic uh, power. Um, and then you can look at like the the fungicide that they're applying and whatnot. And um, in in short, I'll just explain it that when they applied a higher amount of fungicide for one reason or another, yeah they tended to have less hop creep. Oh, right. Which makes sense because maybe that fungicide that they're applying is like reducing some of the enzymatic or whatever it is. It could be like an environmental pressure. It could, yeah, there's so much surrounding. Of course, yeah. (laughs) But but strata was kind of low all the way through. Interesting. Simcoe seemed to be pretty problematic and i think mosaic if i remember was somewhere in the middle but i i don't remember strata was also lowest on my study okay so there you go so you think i I mean i could deduce then that that you think as as time goes on the farmers are going to have a heavy impact on on hop creep in the future and and what techniques they might use and we dial in with there yeah, and then yeah. and then to tie into terroir, there was just one other thing that I wrote down: is hop diastaticus power varies um, with changes in the soil texture, with higher percentage of clay in the surface and uh, subsurface soil uh, make up being associated with lower enzymatic power. So now we're like talking about the terroir of hops and how it affects yeah. hop creep. This article to me was like pretty. Fascinating like, and eye-opening and revolutionary right. to be like, why isn't this being talked about <laughs> yeah. more? Um, and maybe it will eventually. Yeah. Seems like very leading research, right? Yeah, really, really Absolutely. good article. And uh, yeah, again, it was investigating the effect of farm management, soil, and climate on hop diastatic potential, and that was an ASBC. It was volume eighty, issue four, published October nineteenth, two thousand and twenty-one, and there was a multitude of uh folks that contributed to it right. along with tom shellhammer in in your experience or opinion are farmers excited to hear this news and information or is it like fuck there's another <laughs> thing that we have to worry about no they they want to hear it okay in fact we we did a call once with jason peralt when Jessica was just starting at davis or early on and yeah. someone that has a lot of great yeah, like brains on growing hops, he and does, then he yeah. brought in his like agronomist or whatever, and most of it went right over my head. But okay, yeah, it was it was cool to hear it. So no, I think in general they want to, um, you know, hear about this. They want to do a better job, and I think that's where the Hop Quality Group came in. Hmm. Hop Quality Group is a li- was a, was is a liaison between the grower and the broker and the brewer. 
And because of this, there's now a conduit of communication that's happening. And it didn't happen as much before the Hop Quality Group started in, in 2010. So it's something that I think is really cool. And they want to be a part of the sure. solution if they can. But they want to know that it's scientifically sound. Yeah, we're not just giving them a bunch of random theories. Here. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well... Maybe just a brief synopsis. Like, I'll, if I can Crosley it down, which is um, <laughs> like saying dumb it down, really. Um, the, the bottom line here, I think, to, to take some words from you, Vinny, is we're all just using more hops. So this, yeah. this is our problem. This is what's, this That's is not a what's, problem. what's going to happen. <laughs> it's, what's, it's a result of. Yeah. yeah. Um, there is no silver bullet, right? Although there are ways to get rid of diacetyl, the what ADHC? ALDC. ALDC. Yep, yep. ADHC is like a different. <laughs> might, it could be also be a symptom. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, that, but that won't get rid of uh, what's happening with hop creep. No. Um, and of the, of all the techniques that we've talked about today, you should explore them. But maybe don't focus on any one or at least keep in mind that every yeah. change you make is going to have some other reaction. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and the focus, I would say, if there is, is yeast health. Okay. Focus on your zinc. zinc. Mm -hmm. Get your yeast nutrient in order. Yeah. And um, and think about moving it to the cold side. Okay. The, the easy, zinc, easy as a home brewer. Yeah. This one's the easiest thing. Yeah, the zinc additions. Yeah, okay. Add that on the cold side. Okay. Yeah. So. Did I miss anything? Any other advice you want to make sure we have out there? How are you doing there? I mean, I have a million things I could yeah. say, but I won't. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. So yeah. Jessica gets her own podcast on the Brewing Network. Yeah, she has stuff and, she uh, can't uh, talk about. It could be a whole <laughs> series of things yeah. as time yeah. goes on. <laughs> no, I would, I would actually just few people to thank because uh -huh. we, we have gone down this rabbit hole at, at Russian River. And um, first off, Natalie for just obliging me and putting up with you putting up yeah <laughs> let me like just go down this hop creep along with the rest of our staff a lot mm -hmm. of our staff and um you know val peacock dr val peacock who mm -hmm. is now retired but was really the one that said like seeds and tom nielsen definitely someone we talk a lot with and um yeah you got to help me get him on the show too he's a busy guy but yeah he is yeah tom shellhammer mm -hmm. from osu is someone i've done a lot of hop creep work with some of our former lab team um taylor and luke were both people that were deep into this seed stuff and the entire russian river brewing crew hop quality group and you know gotta gotta basically uh start out and thank uh you know horace brown and harris morris for from 1893 <laughs> for setting us up getting this whole thing started yeah we gotta we gotta uh, figure out where they're buried and yeah. bring them a beer pour a little off for our homies over there yeah <laughs> they found the variables more than 100 years ago we're still trying to figure out what to do with them yeah, yeah. absolutely <laughs> All right, you two. Uh, Vidi, Jessica, thank you for being here and thank for sharing all this knowledge with us. Always good to be here. It's going to yeah, be a thanks. very popular show, as you can imagine, uh, because all brewers want to hear about this and what you guys have been doing. Nate, love having you back in the studio, this man. This is great. Yeah. Thank you. So yeah. you know you're welcome anytime. I'll keep throwing shows Appreciate your way. That. We'd yeah. love to have you here. I was thinking today, um, Doc's supposed to come back to town in December. Oh, that would be wonderful. We need a reunion show. It's a little reunion there. Please yeah, do. it'll be. Don't listen to it, Vinny. It'll be completely yeah. devoid of information. <laughs> but it'll be a fun time for yeah, us. No, the first thirty minutes will be great. After that, <laughs> yeah. Hey, before off, we before you be sign wonderful. off, like, do you do you still have hop creep issues? As I a think. Homer? 
I do, but I think what I'm realizing, and the, the one, the best way I think I can summarize it based on all the stuff we've talked about today, is that the the hops that we were using 15 years ago aren't the same, and everyone's using more than they used yeah. to. And what we felt was normal a long time ago, and the same techniques I used to rely on just aren't the same. Yeah, contact time I still too long most of the time, yeah. and I don't have a way to get or haven't developed the ways yeah. that I think are effective enough to get them off quickly. Zinc was a good one. I haven't been doing zinc on the cold side. This show yeah. gave me gave me ideas around that, doing things there that I probably wasn't before. Um, I think though, yeast health in general is something that every home brewer kind of struggles with cons- yeah. consistency. Yeah, and that one is oftentimes elusive in terms of trying to really dial in the yeah. dial in the experiments. But my my real proof in the pudding for that one to know that I still had an issue was I started just stopping dry hopping at all for a while on, ah, on, ba- yes. on batch, <laughs> batch split. Everything yeah. else the same. And then one yeah. without one with hmm. the one without was almost every yeah. time. No issues, yeah. no issue, no issue and no issue. So it's all yeah. coming from all these same yeah. variables that we, we yeah. talked about. And, so much. and you know, one thing we didn't mention real quick and I know we got to sign off, but uh, wart aeration oh. was a big one yeah. too. Like for years, and we we still do this. We have a at the big brewery, brew house. We have an inline uh, do meter that measures the wort after it's been aerated. Sure. But in Santa Rosa and in the Pilot Brewery, we have little what looks like a pH meter, except it measures the do and parts per million. Like we still do that on every batch. The dipstick. We're checking the wort do because that's another huge part of of yeast health. And I think most small breweries are actually over aerating. Okay. And um, I was wondering if you were going to say over. Yeah. You know, Jamil used to That's come in here in the one. early days talking about homebrewers over aerating. Yeah. And I was like, really? Now we're just getting picky. Here. I, I was at a uh, I was at a brewery doing a, a brew with them once. I won't say who. And um, like you could see that. Ward just like blah, blah, blah. and I was like ah, I think that's a little high and they had the same <laughs> unit we had that you can do like pH whatever all the okay. measurements I'm like oh you should like measure that Check split it. that and they they did and it was like boom it was like out of range off the chart yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah amazing so anyway that's another another yeah. good one to look at if you have a a little you know they're not too expensive okay. do meter that can measure parts per million don't yeah. over aerate the uh, dioxic shift. Is that what it's called? Well, the shift between aerobic respiration and fermentation and yeast. Ah. Again, changing over the machinery. Okay. Takes time. Yeah, yeah. So if you over-aerate, it's like wanting to aerobic. You're stressing them out, essentially. A bit. Yeah. yeah. And it just thinks it has oxygen forever. Yeah. Be good to your yeast. They Be don't fuck around. <laughs> They're like, you got to take care of us or we will ruin your life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Thank you guys for being here today. We got to do some tasting in my tap room. Yeah, we got people yep. out there waiting to hear you We're talk about some R and D beers. I think they'll put up with it. All right. <laughs> hey, go to Twenty First Dash Amendment and check out their new beers. I think they got something for your holidays. They've got Heller High Watermelon, of course, but they've got Heller High Watermelon Pumpkin Haze happening. Go check out their Pumpkin Haze. The Twenty First Amendment. Twenty First Dash Amendment dot com. Tell Sully we sent you. He's a good person who's been supporting this show for years too. And, and he said he was going to make a Putanesco uh, beer. So. Oh yeah. <laughs> It's got to get him on that. <laughs> All right, folks. We got more shows coming up for you soon, so hang in there with us. The Brewing Network's not going anywhere. Uh, we enjoy having uh, all these brewers in our studio, and we're going to keep doing so. If you're down in town in the next couple days, get here. We've got seven different Russian River beers on tap, and you should try them all. Uh, but get here soon, because they will be gone. All right. Have yourselves a good Thanksgiving and holiday season. We'll talk to you soon. Take care of yourselves and your beer.
Session is a production of the Brewing Network and brought to you by More Beer. Check them out at morebeer.com. Find more content and live video of this show on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash brewing network. For sponsorship opportunities and information, please reach out to advertising at thebrewingnetwork.com. To reach our hosts, contact feedback at thebrewingnetwork.com. 